listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Fluid, reflective, topographical. Emma O'Halloran is an Irish composer, producer, and performer. She moves freely between acoustic and electronic forces, having written for folk musicians, chamber ensembles, turntables, and laptop orchestra. Alongside scoring for film and theater, she has also written and produced two albums, Emma considers much of her music to be reflective, often trying to map real or imagined moments in time to gain a deeper understanding of her own personal experiences. She is currently a doctoral fellow at Princeton University. Uh, I want to start by talking about Whisper City. Okay. And can you kind of tell us the the kind of story behind the title to this piece? Um, sure. Um, okay. I'm trying to remember back. Um so I was living in Dublin at the time um, that I was writing this piece and Dublin was basically the first city that I had ever lived in. I had previously only lived in kind of small towns so I was like totally in love with it. I thought it was the, the greatest place on earth and um I guess everything about Dublin to me was just so charming. There was this like warmth and sense of possibility. And um, when I got the opportunity to write this piece, I I kind of wanted to write, you know, like a love song to Dublin, basically. Um, and at the same time that around that same time, I, I came across a piece um an article in the Washington Post by this guy called Chris Richards. Um, he was a music critic for the Washington Post. And it was this kind of, it was this really f- kind of interesting article about the musical quality of various rundown escalators in, in D.C., mm-hmm. And I think he kind of, he had gone around um, recording and cataloging various sounds of these, um, these escalators. And he had just these amazing descriptions. And um, I remember one of them was something along the lines of um, an aviary of chrome-throated ravens taunting you as you descend <laughs> into your workday. And I loved that. Oh my that. God, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I really, really loved that. And um it kind of like changed the way I listened, I guess, um, because, you know, like cities are, are pretty noisy, you know, and um, it was just a different way of perceiving um, my environment. So I started really paying attention to like the hum of cars and traffic and the rain because it is like literally always raining in, in Ireland. Um, and then just like the sound of people going about their, their everyday business and it all sort of took on a musical quality to me um Uh so in many ways it was like this idea of just noises life and I decided that was how I was going to write this sort of love letter to Dublin City I was going to explore these overlooked sounds and the secret music that they possess so that's basically the the backstory of what Whisper City is about was it just a sound recorder or a composer who was recording the escalators I, I think it was the same guy. I think it was the I think it was Chris Richards. Basically what I'm getting at is did he do something with those sounds or was he just like kind of in a more um like uh acoustic eco- ecology 
oh. kind of manner, you know, collecting sounds and, and, and describing them like that. Yeah, it's it felt like he was more like a, a connoisseur of sorts where he just, you know, uh-huh. he just recorded these sounds for himself. As far as I know, anyway, I, d- I don't think there was anything right. ever, ever done with it afterwards. It reminds me of, I mean, you've seen those, probably seen those videos on YouTube or something of people who take really old hard drives and, you know, uh, kind of program them to get to get pitches out of them. I think there was one that like played the Star Wars theme on, you know, <laughs> like 50 old hard drives. And it kind of reminds me of that. Like That's really cool. I've never heard of that. I'll have to check it out. Oh yeah, you should you should check that out. It's pretty cool. But with stuff like that, I always wished, you know, this is such a cool thing that the person is doing and I wish they actually did something meaningful with it instead of just like, oh, here's the Star Wars theme. So that's kind of why I was wondering about the uh, the escalators, you know, d- did he did he do anything with those or or was it just kind of uh kind of a gimmick, but it sounds like he was just a person in love with sound. So when you were walking around uh, Dublin, what was what was kind of the the secret music that you were that you were describing? Um, I think a lot of the time it would have been just different hums of traffic. I found myself like humming a lot with them, different traffic pitches, and then just like mm-hmm. you know, um, the, some of the trains, like the the tracks, or you know, would have these beautiful sort of screeches um Mm -hmm. and things like that it's been a while since I've been back there so it's it's a it's a duller memory for me now but um yeah just the the sound of the traffic the people and then the rain I think it was just it was it was always raining and did these uh did these sounds make it into um the electronics for the piece as well or were you kind of uh, using the instruments that that you had and processing them to kind of represent those sounds? Um, I think I I started with because it was this sort of weird combination of um, you know laptop orchestra with symphony orchestra. I actually started with the electronic sounds and I was like, well, what can I do with this? And also because the laptop orchestra is. You know, it's a the. I don't know if you've ever seen one in action before, but um, the the Dublin Laptop Orchestra um, basically hacked these um, these old game track controllers. I think they they have these two uh-huh. tethers, and I think back in the day people used them to play like golf games. Um, you mm-hmm. know, before the Wii, um, and I I wanted to have some sort of like gestural thing where you could sort of manipulate the sound and play along with the instruments so I was sort of viewing the um the game track controllers as instruments so for for one one thing in particular that did make it in was the rain because um you could sort of control the um density of the rain by um by whether you you know you pulled the tether forward or backwards so you know it would go from a light shower to sort of like a thunderous um downpour uh-huh. um so yeah I think I started with those sounds and then you know I, I I was kind of always thinking about well what can what can the orchestra do to simulate and I think a lot of traffic sound kind of made its way in through that that are any um acoustic sounds being processed live i thought at one point i heard the singers um the mm, oh the singer's sound being processed or is it all just 
not not fixed, but everything is coming strictly from the laptops. Yeah, I think that um, I know which which part you're talking about, and yeah, everything is it's not fixed as such, but yeah, it is just coming from the laptops. I think the the part where her voice sounds like it's processed that is actually my <laughs> I recorded my voice and just kind of I just thought maybe I'll sing a bit <laughs> with her. Um, just, well, it, it definitely worked. It definitely fooled me. So that was that was awesome. I was like, when am I going to get the opportunity to sing with an orchestra? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, when I saw when I saw this piece that it was um, that it was symphony orchestra and laptop orchestra, um, there was something in me that was like, well, why do you need the laptops? But the way you described it, having an actual interaction, you know, the performers of the laptop orchestra are actually performing that that's very cool. And that's not, I don't think that's something, I mean, I have seen, you know, enough laptop orchestra performances to at least form an opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually it's just people sitting on a stage pressing a space bar and which to me kind of like begs, you know, it, it, it makes me wonder like, why couldn't this just be a tape piece? So you actually played, in the Dublin Laptop Orchestra, correct? Yes, I did. Um, I didn't play for that piece because I was too nervous to even um, to be involved with that. But yeah, I I've right. played with the the Laptop Orchestra, and I think for a lot of the pieces um, that the Dublin Laptop Orchestra performed, the idea was that it it would be played like they were real instruments, but maybe we're doing things that acoustic instruments couldn't necessarily do what is the te- it, i mean i couldn't really tell if there was text um to this for this piece um yeah there was there was a text and it was very very simple and i i just wrote it myself and i think yeah it it doesn't really um the well the recording doesn't really um you can't necessarily hear it but um so it's it's very very simple it's basically uh you know it sort of opens with like have you heard the sounds of this city and then there's just sort of um I guess descriptions and I think at the time I had been thinking of a lot of um you know or orchestral works that were written for kids you know um uh-huh. a sort of like a, a Peter and the Wolf but with um city sounds <laughs> And, right. Um, yeah. So a lot of it is just kind of like sort of playfully describing different types of um, sounds like, um, sh- you know, ringing, shrieking, you know, um, different things like that. Um, so does the singer kind of function the same way in Peter and the Wolf, like a like kind of a narrator? Yeah, I was kind of that's sort of what I was hoping it would work out like, I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's just a, a, like a very brief moment where I guess she just sort of um, I'm trying to think it, it's kind of like you know it, it's like explaining all the different sounds in a very sort of childlike way and then it's just trying to make the point that we are all part of this like we are all connected in this weird noisy way and um, right you know that's that's what the city is all about. Who is uh, Emer Quinn and how did you get connected with her? Um, Emer Quinn is um, a, 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 an Irish singer. She is trained in both um, sort of like the folk tradition and also, I'm, I mean, she's definitely done classical music as well, um, like a, more of an operatic style. 
But um, she, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Eurovision. No. Okay, so this is something that you should check out at some point. The Eurovision is like this huge thing in Europe um, where it's like a, a songwriting contest where each country gets to submit, each European country gets to submit an entry. And, the, yeah. and you know, they sort of battle it out for the best songwriter in Europe. And Emer Quinn um, <laughs> won it one year. when And like when I was a kid, I remember seeing her do it. Like she was, she must have been about 16 when she won it. She was like a child. And um, and she was like a national hero <laughs> um, <laughs> for winning it. So it was just the most bizarre thing to be working with her um, years yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So we are going to hear... Her singing with the Dublin Laptop Orchestra and the RTE National Symphony Orchestra. Was this the premiere performance? It was, yeah.
excuse me. It's uh, it's it's the allergies are just murder over oh my here. God. Uh, it'll all be over soon. I'm mo I'm moving back to the states in uh, July. That's great. Are you excited? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. I I took a new position at um Ohio University, and uh, we're moving back to basically like four hours away from both of our families. Oh, that's amazing. Um, my my wife and I, yeah, and uh, so and uh, we're we're gonna actually. Just weirdly, we actually bought a house today, like oh right before I came. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, my goodness. I know. Did you buy a house, like, not having seen the house? Yeah, we, we've never set foot in it, but we had uh, my wife's parents uh, go down, and they took a tour, and we were on Skype the whole time. Okay. And basically, like, we had an idea of what this house would be and had communicated that to her parents and after going through it, they were like, yeah, it's exactly what you thought it was going to oh, be. That's fantastic. So, yeah, we're we're going to live like um, up on a ridge. And oh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be definitely so, nice to get closer to family as well. I definitely miss um, yeah. my folks back home. Yeah. How, how often do you get back to Ireland? Well, I'm going to be I'm going to be moving home for the summer um, and at that point it will be nearly two years since I've been home. So that's a yeah. long time for me. Definitely. Yeah. Um, actually, I think before before I went back for the job interview and my my parents and my wife's parents came down, I hadn't been back to well, I still haven't been back to my hometown in in probably in probably about two two plus years yeah so yeah it'll be it'll be good to to get back and and actually we're i'm like i'm kind of having the opposite situation that you had with with dublin is that i've always lived in cities oh, okay. and now and now i'm going into this like you know small college town surrounded in nature like we this house we just bought it doesn't even have like it has a neighbor on one side but on the other side is just like you know a, a hill and a cliff wow and it's like we're we're really like diving head head first into this whole like you know kind of uh solitary living i guess i mean i i would be into that <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to it because, like you say, cities are always so noisy, and I live in a city right now in China of about 11 million people, yeah, and it's not even that big of a city over here. So, yeah, definitely. I think I think it's exciting to be in a city when you're young, you know. And it's not that I'm like ancient now or anything, but I definitely <laughs> like I feel ancient. <laughs> but it's you know I I I I think I I, I long to get back. To just like slightly more nature around and and, yeah. and peace and quiet. Um, I don't I don't crave the nightlife as much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you just you just gave me a great segue into the next piece <laughs> that we're gonna talk about. <laughs> we're gonna oh, talk gosh. about your piece, night music. <laughs> uh, <great. laughs> so that was wonderful. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, was this piece written for? 
the Prism Saxophone Quartet? It was, yes. Yes, they did a residency yeah. in uh, Princeton in 2014 and I basically begged to be, be on, like, get to work with them. <laughs> I was like, please, please. Yeah, they, they came to Rice while I, while I was still a doctoral student there. Unfortunately, like, they came right when I was doing my dissertation and there was just no oh, way darn. I could... I could uh, pull away from it, but you know, just just being able to go to that masterclass and hear their performance, and then go out and uh, you know have a drink with them, they're they're fantastic. Uh, Tim McAllister has been at a couple um, different schools, or at least close to a couple different schools that I've been at, and I know a lot of his students. I mean, they're just oh my god, yeah, McAllister students are just they're just wow, incredible, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Um, so it was a good experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I imagine. Um, what uh, you know, when I was listening to this, the there was a moment where I thought the the tuning or the or the microtonal kind of moment mm-hmm. where w- was something that I had never really heard before in a piece that uses that uses repetition as its kind of like primary device. And I thought it really played with the, the the listener's perception in such an interesting way. So can you talk about the kind of um, the motivations be, behind uh, like how how you wrote this piece, I guess? Um, sure. Well, I, th- I think so for me, I, w- I was thinking a lot about, I guess, just the, you know, like, how do you approach writing for s- at this particular um, timbre, I guess, um, or this, you know, force of four saxophones and right. I was thinking a lot about um so I I had been um studying at Princeton for maybe a year and a half at that point and so I was you know I, I'm an Irish person living in the states and and that to a certain extent can be a culture shock you know you're kind of you're just adjusting to well I'm sure you know yourself living in China <laughs> you know you yeah, move somewhere yeah. new you, you have to get used to it um and it just, I started thinking back to, there was sort of one other time where I had spent a year abroad and it was um, when I was about, I was like 21. I had um, taken part in a study abroad program in Miami at the University, um, the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. And um, mm-hmm. and that to yep. me was just like the the strangest, most surreal experience, you know, coming from a small town in Ireland where the, you know, the weather is like permanently overcast and I suddenly see like what the the sky actually looks like when there's no clouds (laughs) and uh, and I just, it was just so crazy and I, I just remember being struck by how different the music was there, you know, in the bars and on the streets and it was like a really brassy sound and, um, Uh One of my professors there was like one of the founding members of Miami Sound Machine. And, you know, it was just it was very much like this sort of like, I don't know, I just remember thinking of like brass, brassy music um, textures down there. And um, so I wanted to just like, I guess like for a lot of my music, I will try and like really um, like try and recreate or like capture this a moment in time. And it's usually... um, uh, related to a particular place, 
but it's not the place uh-huh. as such I'm trying to capture. It's like this feeling that I have or just a sense of nostalgia or something. So um, so this this time in Miami was like an outer body experience for me at times where it was like, this is not me. Where am I? <laughs> Do I belong here? Like, what is this? Um, so I that's sort of what the microtonal um, tuning was like. I, I just remember going out um, to, you know, bars, you know, with these people that I'm sort of, you know, lumped in with and we're all trying to make friends and there's this really, right. really vibrant music. But at times I just remember thinking like, what, what is this? Like, where am I? This is very <laughs> far from home. Um, right. And then at the same time, there were moments where I really felt so connected to the world when I was there um, when we you know go, go into the ocean and there's there's these moments of calmness and it's just so peaceful and beautiful and um you know so I guess for me it was just trying to have these textures that um go in and out between like the feeling very very connected to the world and then just like slipping away and not things just feel really strange um yeah so that that to me was what the the use of the microtonal tuning was <laughs> I was initially like worried that um that the audience wouldn't fully get it but then when it was prism you're like you know prism do not play out of tune so um I think, right yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it kind of like it kind of gave this this feeling of just something kind of going in and out of focus like almost almost a visual kind of um idea you know when you when you're watching a film or something and all of a sudden the 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 character goes through some sort of trauma and what you their point of view kind of like kind of morphs or something that was that was kind of the musical equivalent of what it uh what was going on and I just thought it like I said I I just I never hear someone take that like I, it was it was wholly unexpected, and, and that it, it was so great, great for me as a listener, you know. Well, thank you very much. Well, that's that's pretty much what I was trying to do. So I'm I'm, I'm relieved someone has finally noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so so often uh, sax quartets or or you know saxophone pieces in general kind of tend towards the end of the spectrum that that has more extended techniques and and more effects and other i think other than this other than that moment of microtonalism your piece kind of lives at the opposite end of the spectrum so you know how did you how did you kind of prepare to to write for the sax quartet i know you were talking about you wanted a kind of brassy sound and you were you were trying to you like i i kind of I, I think i kind of understand the the feeling that you were trying to present in the music, but just, just instrumentally, you know, what that, I mean, obviously that was a choice mm-hmm. to kind of go, you know, here, here's what everyone else is doing. I'm going to go the other way <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that, I think it was probably like a, a sense of um, paralysis from options, you know, um, the, the prison guys came in and, and, um, they did a workshop and it was like, here are all the, here are all the techniques that you could do. And I just thought, oh my God, like I just, where do you begin? And, you know, like, is this really what I want to do? So I just thought I would go the the complete opposite way. Um, it just felt easier to like, to limit myself to a, a certain kind of palette rather than trying, you know, and you, you don't want to throw in the kitchen sink, you know, oh, here's, here's yeah, like a random, course. you know, multiphonic for the sake of it, you know. Um, 
Yeah. And I think then when I when I was, um, you know, thinking about Miami, I kind of wanted to just have like a very repetitive. Like I was thinking of like the Miami Sound Machine or, you know, the sort of like uh-huh. pop music sort of um, like cliched chord progressions that sort of um, just repeat back and sure. forth. So I was like, you know what, I'm not I'm just going to keep it simple and. Uh, and this is what I'm going to do. And, I, and I'm glad I did in a way because I feel like I, I would have just, I probably would have been a big mess otherwise. <laughs> Sometimes less is more. <laughs> so we're going to hear Prism. And was this, was this a live performance or was this, a, I, I can't. This was can't a live remember. performance. Yeah. It sounds kind of flawless because yeah. that's Prism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, and this is Night Music.
you said something when we were talking about night music that you know you were influenced kind of by kind of by the pop music you were hearing down in Miami. So can you tell me what Games Violet is? Oh, Games Violet is um so um I I I took a break from writing um I guess for other people in um in 2015, I think it was 2015, and I just really wanted to um record an album and um myself and my partner Alex um wrote performed recorded and produced an album and we and we called our duo games violet so um that's what games violet is <laughs> so uh what what are you what are you doing on the i mean you obviously you guys are doing everything so what is what does all that entail for this for this duo um so i guess so I think when you know when you're you you're writing for like so unless you're a composer performer or you're performing with an ensemble I think that I don't know for a while I just felt a, sort of dissatisfied with um you know composing something and then like notating it down and handing it off to someone else I felt like something was like possibly getting lost in translation so um Alex and I did this went a, a very um hardcore um route of you know writing songs and then figuring out like performing everything um which which meant like you know only writing things that I could actually play <laughs> and um, right <laughs> and then, you know so simple simple things um and then we although that would be a good challenge like write something for <laughs> for yourself that you know you can't play I was like okay I guess I have to do this well what is it 10,000 hours <laughs> you know um, <laughs> can do that trumpet solo um, but yeah, right. so and then we just like tried to, you know, we figured out how to record and, and mix and master. So it was, it was really exciting. It was like probably the hardest thing I've ever done. But I'm really like I'm so glad that I did it. And are you still are you still uh, writing new music for it or still performing? Um, we have been performing. Like right now, it's kind of you know with um kind of like sort of crunch time um in terms of the academic year yeah. so we're taking a little bit of a break um but uh yeah we I think we will do more stuff with it um it's it's so fun to just perform and I and I think that sometimes when well for me anyway like getting stuck into like writing for other groups I I sort of like neglect that um but I feel like uh -huh. more in touch with um what I want to create and um, just the, like the, like what I really want to make um, by when I actually perform myself, you know? So I think that's something yeah. that um, I'll, I'll definitely take with me. And just like even um, like taking into account the quality of the sound, you know, there's, I feel like previously, like before um, I started doing work with the, with Games Violet, it was like, I'd write something and then I'd hand it off to someone else and, you know, with this sort of like, well, that's my job done. They, they'll make it sound good, hopefully. And, but, you know, <laughs> where, where, when you're trying to, you know, make something that's like record quality, you really have to figure out, well, you know what, this is not the right microphone for this, you know, vocal line and maybe, or, you know, maybe I need to, um, you know filter something or do something else with it and you know you really consider like how the sound lies and the balance um you know you're kind of like your own conductor in a way yeah 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 um, so it's it's been cool just to think about writing music in a in a very different way 
and has that that kind of immediacy with uh you know you're writing you're writing for yourself or your partner and because of that you don't have that long wait time between you know finishing the score and then actually hearing it so that has that immediacy kind of informed back into your uh your music that you write for other people or or that i guess that desire like is that making you work in a different way yeah i think it is there's something so satisfying about you know recording something and then being able to hear it back immediately and i think um it's also i i found and this is like not all composers do this is like something that i found that i was like falling into this sort of um pattern of like you know relying on midi and you know when you're just like well if, if it sounds good in midi you know I'll just I'll go with that so it's kind of it's fun to break away from that and like maybe I I if I'm writing for other people now I will try and record um like make my mock-ups in like a like an Ableton or some sort of doll and um, right. and then try and like notate that afterwards so it's kind of like escaping from the bar lines and escaping from I don't know um the the sort of constraints of of listening to MIDI yeah I mean and that was I was actually just last week um I interviewed uh, a vocalist and kind of experimental vocal composer Misha Penton and that's actually the exact way that she was working as well you know she was she just went in and did a lot of recording and then with those those kind of uh you know those those different takes and those and those different little uh, bits uh from the recording session she would construct a piece out of that and I just thought that it was so that you regain that you know that immediacy that you that you have when you're doing like a fixed media piece where basically mm-hmm. i mean when you're doing a fixed media piece you're basically just writing it for yourself in a way you know fixed media isn't for anyone re- yeah. realistically so it's like but there's there's such a like um it's so attractive to work that way because you you can instantly hear things back and you're not relying on midi you're you're actually listening to the real sounds and the real material that will eventually go into this finished product so what what kind of changes from the uh recorded version to the live the live performance of games violet oh that has taken many uh <laughs> many different um guises uh like so I think like the first time we tried to perform it live it was like oh okay like let's try and mimic this like exactly and it was right felt sort of it felt very artificial um so the the most recent thing we did we had um a bass player and a, a drummer come in and um I guess like Alex was playing guitar and singing and I was playing synth and singing and it was just it felt really good but it it, it sort of morphed into a more of a like a rock band as opposed to like this uh-huh. hybrid like electronic sort of thing that we had so um yeah I think when you play live I'm, I'm sure if if we continue to do that that would definitely inform the music as well because you want to you want to write things that are fun to play yeah exactly yeah <laughs> well, hopefully you do anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's yeah. it's so, I think, I don't know, I just, I love the whole working with audio 
and I mean I still like use a notational software but just <coughs> I think there's something faster it's like you know if you, you regain that sense of I don't know childlike curiosity where you can record stuff and then just like grab it and put it on top of this other thing and you can do it so much faster than if you're notating it like I know there's like copy and paste elements and you can drag things around in in software in notational software but there's still it's like one step removed you know so how we're gonna sorry you okay (laughs) i will be eventually (laughs) so i did want to listen to one of the tracks uh from games violet uh, and this is called courtship can you tell us just a little bit about um the what's going on in this um, in this song i think um uh, gosh uh, i always like forget what these things are about um it, it it's it's <laughs> sort of like a, it's a, it's just a strange love song i guess okay <laughs> i'll just go with and that you have yeah that's good i like it um and you have uh i i uh, checked out the the video that is uh on your website for this mm-hmm. uh it's also on Super vimeo creepy. right <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's cool. I love it. So we're going to we're going to hear courtship by the band Games Violet. It's my daughter's name, Violet. Oh, Violet. I love that name. i 
So I want to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about your last piece, Endless Deeps. And I mean, I think we've kind of been touching on little aspects of this uh, throughout all the pieces because it seems like electronic music and working with electronic instruments or electronic software has been a big part of your of your life. So can you just kind of talk about how is electronic working with electronic music kind of informed your overall compositional practice? Um, oh, good question. Um, I guess I I feel like listening to electronic like working with electronic music, I think about sounds more as textures than like I'm not I mean I, I I'm not a big harmony melody kind of person like you know that that might that might follow but I usually think about things in terms of textures and I feel like that comes from working with electronic music so in this piece that we're going to listen to endless deeps what were the what were the textures that inspired uh the the instrumental writing um, well, I guess like the name is pretty like indicative. Um, I, I was thinking of like childhood experiences on different coasts um, of Ireland. Um, I was probably like motivated by like a sense of homesickness, uh, <laughs> probably. Um, so like, you know, on, on the East Coast, there's a very like serene Irish sea, um, which is, um, I guess, um, sort of like grey and, um, you know, dark and moody. And then there's on the West Coast, there's the Atlantic Ocean, which is pretty rough, um, you know, like strangely enough down, um, I think down at the, the southwest of Ireland, there, there are some really great surfing spots. Um, oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Like I'm not a surfer myself, but it's just like one of those, like there, there are waves, you know, um, <laughs> and um, I guess like I was probably like thinking about my childhood and, you know, spending time with my my siblings at these different, you know, when we visited our relations uh, with some relations in the Dublin area and then others um, down um, west in like Clare and and um, Limerick. And um, I guess my this piece is just trying to capture a sense of like the awe that I felt when, when watching the, the sort of ebb and flow of these like, you know, s- still waters and then also like these huge um, big waves like crashing against the cliffs. You're living in Philadelphia right now? I am, yes. How has living in, you know, a bigger city like you, you mentioned moving to to Dublin when you were in Ireland and then coming to coming to the States, Philadelphia is, you know, a decent sized city for the States. How has that kind of changed your relationship with, you know, it seems like a lot of, uh, well, I mean, the pieces that we have listened to, it seems like there's a kind of, you're, you're affected by environment a lot. So how has Philadelphia kind of shaped that? Um, well, I guess like Philadelphia is like the games Violet era. <laughs> um, so it's like just been a lot of songwriting. And I think, you know, um, yeah, so it's, it's basically just been writing, writing songs and like um, recording audio um, mostly. But yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the thing that I'm most affected by now is just like the stuff that's going on in the news. And, you know, Philadelphia feels very political um, I haven't written yeah. anything super political, but I feel like, you know, it may come out in, in certain it's, it's shapes and forms. Yeah, some sort of like insane. 
Um, yeah, it's it. I I mean, even even being over here, every everything feels political right now. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. yeah, I feel like the lot of, a lot of the games Violet music actually was um, sort of unintended to, to, like it wasn't, it didn't set out to be political, but it definitely had um, some political undertones um, to it. Some of the, the songs, I think one of the songs is um, called uh, Hot Cheese from the perspective of Kim Jong-un. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's just imagining like our inevitable destruction. <laughs> oh my God, um, hot yeah, cheese, so- <laughs> love it. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, so I'm, maybe Philadelphia has uh, shaped me in that sort of way. But yeah, like I, I think about place, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, I think about, I don't know, place for me, like things are always sort of inextricably intertwined. So like they're, they're, a place will remind me of, you know, the friends that I was with or things that I learned there or whatever. So I guess like when I describe myself, when I say like I... I'm like, I don't know, I gave you were like a topographical composer. I'm like yeah. trying to chart in detail like a place, but it's more to sort of understand different moments in my life, I guess. Almost kind of biographical in a way. Yeah, I, I think. I don't know. I haven't written enough music to really <laughs> be able to <laughs> have this. Talk to me in like 40 years, maybe. <laughs> Got it. All right. <laughs> so for uh, for Endless Deeps, this was uh, performed by Wild Rumpus. Yeah. And they have they have a pretty unique instrumentation. So can you talk about how how that instrumentation informed the piece? Um. Sure. I have to like pull up the uh, the instrumentation for this. Um. So well, it was basically like it it had like I was thinking of it like it had piano, it had sort of like a string quintet, like you know, with the with the low end of the bass. Um right. trom- trombone. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, it did have a crazy lineup. It reminded me a lot of the Crash Ensemble, actually, which are an Irish group. So it didn't seem so strange to me. Um mm, okay. But yeah, I think it just had a lot of elements that I was like I, I thought there would be cool things to do with it. Like for, for one thing, you know, having having a piano um is sort of interesting because it's like this fixed temperament and then all the other instruments can kind of morph around it. And in a way it was probably like a similar um a similar technique to like what I did with the the night music piece, um, with mm-hmm. these yeah. microtones where, you know, you have these um moments i guess of like sort of just intonation um with the instruments and then this piano (laughs) emerges and it feels like it's underwater because it's not perfectly in tune with everything else and Uh um yeah so i thought like i I definitely was excited by the instrumentation and wanted to try and do some strange stuff with it how did you get connected with wild rumpus um i think it was it was part of their commissioning project actually um, so I had just like sent in um, a few scores and um, and was lucky, I guess, to get to work with them. Cool. So we're going to hear them perform this piece, Endless Deeps.
the last question that I always ask every uh, every composer or every artist who's on the podcast is, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, that's why it's the last question. <laughs> it's just like it warmed them up for the last question. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I, th- I think it was like one of those things that I just, I was sort of always doing um, and there didn't really feel like there was anything else that would be right for me to do. Um, did you, did you learn, you know, learn instruments as a kid? Uh, so I, like, I learned, like, I used to play guitar, you know, um, a ver- like, you know, a very angsty teenager, you know, playing my Nirvana yep. and, uh, <laughs> and that sort of stuff. <laughs> I'm, and I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that how every composer starts out? Um, I yeah, think so- <laughs> if, you, if you're of a certain age now, you know, if you're, if you're 40 or under, I think that's how you start composing now. Yeah. Like there's, there's no more, I, I don't feel like there's a lot of like, well, I started violin when I was three years old and then I became, no, it's like everyone is playing guitar and they start out with Nirvana or, I mean, of course that was, you know, that was that generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, it's easy to play, you know? So of course it's yeah. what you start off with, but yeah, I mean, my when i when i started me when i started playing guitar my soul you know the sole goal of playing guitar was okay first i'm gonna learn uh never uh smells like teen spirit of course and then i'm gonna learn some smashing pumpkins oh, and yeah, then i'm gonna learn this and that <laughs> yeah of course you have to be a little bit better to play, a smashing, bit better pumpkins, to play but, smashing pumpkins yeah yeah <laughs> um. yeah but if you're of a certain age i think that's how you make a composer now yeah, I, I feel like that's probably the way. Yeah, like I, I definitely it, it was like a strange thing because I, I did study music in um in like the equivalent of like high school it would be our, our second level schools. And mm-hmm. but, you know, and, and like we had these like weird composition classes where it was like you you write this melody for four bars and then you modulate and then you come back. And I was like, this is just terrible. Um, So I just kind of like <laughs> did did my own thing. And then but I, I, I really wanted to, I guess, I, like, to be honest, I didn't really think all that hard about I see you know in Ireland like I was telling people about this recently you know like education like third level education is free in that we don't like there are nominal fees that you have to pay but it's essentially free so everyone kind of expects to go to college and like you don't take it as this like huge life decision that you might be saddled in debt for you know 20 years um yeah. So I was like, hey, it would be really cool to do music in college, you know, and um, and some of the the college that I wanted to go to had this sort of um, kind of dated thing where you needed to have like a piano up to a certain um, grade. So I, I took a year out before I went to um, college and I just I spent, you know, God, like maybe four or five hours every day just like trying to like complete a bunch of different piano exams and then I like uh-huh. promptly like never played piano again when I got in yeah. I was just like that's that <laughs> back to back to Nirvana thank you very much um, but yeah so it was like one of those things where um and you know like 
I never like I was always just sort of writing for myself and like I really didn't encounter like any female composers until I was like almost on my way out of my undergrad and then I was like oh my goodness like women can do this too fantastic like um so I think I started later than a lot of my um my colleagues and um and just kind of it's just been that's just the the path I've taken and yeah I guess there's there's nothing else that I really would would love to do who was the first composer uh who was a woman that you encountered that kind of gave you that realization um it was well there was two but um so there was um Jane O'Leary um she's an Irish composer and she she set up um an ensemble in Ireland and just kind of she was really like a a very supportive kind of mentor and would really um like she composed a lot of stuff herself but she would really like reach out to younger composers and try and perform their work and um so she um she did like a, a workshop in the university that I was in and um, her ensemble performed like my, you know, like my first composition. And I was like, wow, yeah. it's so amazing the way you can write things on a page and, and instruments will play them. And it's fantastic. Um, and then there was another composer, Linda Buckley, who would have been, um, maybe a few years older than me, but she was doing a lot of very cool stuff and, um, you know, uh, a lot of electronic music as well. And I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is really inspiring. You know, like maybe this is something that I could do as well. I think if you study, and I've said this before, but I think if you study electronic music, it's not such a shock to to think that, oh, women are composers too, mm-hmm. because, you know, you look into electronic music, and I, I will concede that if you go to like a Seamus or an ICMC or something like that, it is a bunch of guys there, <laughs> but but in actuality, you know, some of the, I think some of the like finest composers of electronic music are women. You know, I'm thinking about like people like Natasha Barrett or Eleni mm-hmm. Lilios or Pauline Oliveros, or I mean, yeah. you know, the the list just goes on and on and on. And it's like, so having, I, you know, I came up through that, through that exact same kind of, uh, kind of training with, with electronic music. So and and I actually my undergrad I was very fortunate to be at a school where they had four composers two were men two were women one of whom was Eleni Lilios wow. so yeah yeah it was pretty cool um, <laughs> so yeah yeah um, yeah I guess like I mean the the it's not that like you know women composers didn't exist in Ireland or anything like that I think it was just I having come coming from a small town the like I I really wasn't exposed to much sort of classical music um before I actually went to study at university and then just the university program that I was in was just a little bit more on the conservative level where you know it it wasn't even like showing that much contemporary music like it there wasn't a yeah. huge composition program so I think that's why um, it just took a little bit longer for me to actually get exposed to um, different different voices out there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, can you, th- I mean, this was great. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. But uh, can you tell us before we go uh, where people can find you online? 
Oh, um, sure. Um, my website is, I have to just like pull it up to make sure I have to <laughs> 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 see how often I check it. Um, so yeah, my website is www.emma-o'halloran. Do I need to spell that? Should I spell that? Uh, no, I don't think, I don't think so. Um, it'll be on com. the, it'll be on the podcast title. Yeah. So that's where you can find me. Uh, can we, can we just do that one more time? Sure. Cause you did say WW and it, oh. it yeah, it's yeah. different. It's like the dark web. It's <laughs> yeah, um, really? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, sorry. Yes. That'd w- be crazy. <laughs> They'd be like, what? Um, yeah. So <laughs> my website is www.emma-ohalloran.com. And where, and you're on Twitter. You're pretty active on Twitter, I think. Oh, God. Well, o- only recently. Only recently. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, on Twitter, I'm Emma M. O'Halloran. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, Emma. Yeah, thanks. It was really nice chatting to you. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.